As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Whale Hunting Podcast. I'm Tom Wright, and I'm joined by Bradley Hope. We were both long-term reporters for the Wall Street Journal. And in 2015, we started a multi-year investigation into the globe-sprawling 1MDB scandal. That project changed our entire worldview. And we wrote a book about it called Billion Dollar Whale. So today, Bradley Hope and I are very excited to bring a new feature to the Project Brazen Universe. This is Whale Hunting, a weekly podcast for those interested in shining a light on the hidden worlds of money and power. And to start off, Bradley and I are going to tell you about one of the stories that's really caught our attention over the last few years that we've worked together. It involves Pras Michel, the rapper from the Fugees, the head of China's domestic security forces, a member of Trump's inner circle, and a glamorous political operative from Hawaii. Back in April, Pras Michel was found guilty by a jury of receiving $100 million in a scheme where a Malaysian businessman called Jolo was trying to get the Trump administration to drop its investigations into him. And if that wasn't crazy enough, Pras's defense now is to try to argue that he was only convicted because his lawyer used generative AI programs to write his closing arguments. Bradley, how the hell did Pras Michel of the Fugees and the singer of the single Ghetto Superstar. How did he end up getting convicted and, and, and now he's awaiting his sentencing for this, this scandal involving Jolo? Just paint a picture of it for us. Well, this, if you go back quite a few years now, in the early days of the 1MDB scheme, Jolo was really hanging out in these nightclubs, spending huge amounts of money and getting a lot of attention. And so one night he met uh, Pras. Like many celebrities, he met them all at these nightclubs where he was spending at first, hundreds of thousands, and later on, millions of dollars in a single night. And they got to talking. And Praz, at that point in time, was trying to kind of reinvent himself. And that draw the attention of Joe, who likes the idea of people reinventing themselves. We should, we should say very quickly for people that Joe Lowe is one of the biggest white-collar criminals of history. He'd stolen, this is around 2009, 2010, he'd stolen billions of dollars from the Malaysian state fund 1MDB. And one of the things he does is he's splashing that in clubs like Marquis and Avenue in New York City about 13 years ago. And Pras Michel, as you said, is hanging out there in, in those parties, right? That's right, yeah. And Pras at that, at that time was also um, connected to a, a Obama fundraiser called Frank White. And that was the kind of thing that really got Jolo's attention because by that point, he had already essentially stolen billions of dollars, but now he wanted the next thing. He wanted power. And he wanted to be able to deliver power to other people. And so through Praz, he had this opportunity to get access to the Obama campaign, to the White House. And it worked. He has a picture of himself with Obama. 
his dad was at an Obama fundraiser. There's a picture of it. And, and this was so important to Jolo's fraud because he would go around the world when he's meeting Middle East royalty or whoever, and he would be showing them this picture of himself with, you know, Obama has his arm around him. There's no allegations, of course, that Obama himself did anything wrong, but Jolo needed to be close to him or wanted to be seen to be close to him. And I'm sure he brandished that picture from the White House around to show that he, he you know, he had these ways in with people. And as you said, Prass was the one that was able to, to get him in. Now, Prass, in Prass's defense in this case, he said that he was paid $20 million by Jolo in 2012 and that he then subsequently decided himself to give $800,000 to the Obama campaign, but the, the jury didn't believe that, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, he he argued that he hadn't done anything wrong. You know, he, he wasn't laundering money for Jolo is what his argument was, but the, the literal facts of it didn't work out for him very well. Yeah, although the $20 million was paid so that he could get a photo with Obama, and then he later decided to give $800,000 of it to the, to the Obama campaign through straw donors, which is totally illegal in America. You know, the prologue of our book, we have this crazy party that Jolo throws in, in Vegas in uh, 2012, which is his birthday, I think his 30th birthday. And Pras Michel comes to that. He's, he's spending a lot of time with him and sees him as a you know, great person to know, this Asian billionaire. We don't know what Pras Michel knew about Jolo. I mean, I suppose he wouldn't have known much about the fraud um, and where all the money was coming from. Probably didn't ask that much about that. But then Jolo gets in trouble, right? All the stories start coming out about him, including our coverage in the Wall Street Journal. And Pras Michel then has a second act with Jolo, doesn't he? He helps him in a much more important way than this money that went to Obama in 2012. I think it's just, it's a good reminder of the kind of what happens in all these major frauds is everybody starts off small and then it starts to sort of turn into an avalanche over time. So even Jolo himself started off taking money he shouldn't have, but he was probably telling himself something like, oh, I'm going to replace that. I'm going to make money and replace it. In the case of Praz, you know, I think the, the most important thing about Praz is that he was not doing well before he met Joe. He didn't have a career anymore. And Jolo transformed his life by giving him this money. You know, imagine having you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to your name and, and a big lifestyle. And then suddenly, Jolo comes in and says, here's $20 million. Like, it was just a completely crazy thing to arrive in his accounts. And um, so over time, so he starts off with the straw donor thing, you know, obviously not using the majority of it. I, I would imagine telling himself that this isn't so bad what I'm doing. But then later on, as Jolo's um, empire starts crumbling and, the, and there's like a manhunt for him, between Malaysia, the United States, there's investigations in Switzerland, Singapore. Jolo becomes more desperate. And, and the key thing for Jolo always was, how do I stop the U.S. investigation? If the U.S. drops this case, everybody else can be handled, you know, because nobody else has the same ambitions to follow the money. And so in, in, the, in the court documents, it shows that Joe started talking to Praz about how do we get to Trump? And, and the way they got to Trump was pretty interesting. Tom, do you want to talk about uh, Elliot Broidy and Nikki Lum Davis for a minute? Yeah, I mean, this is the most bonkers part of the whole WannamDB story. And, you know, we only just got this into the epilogue at the last minute of the book, so it's never really been explored um, in a major way. But yeah, so Jolo's in trouble. There's stories about him. There's an indictment in the US. They're going after his assets in the US in a civil case. And Jolo, um, he thinks, okay, how am I going to get out of this, all these legal problems I've got in the US? And this is the part where it goes off the tracks that he thinks one way he thinks he's going to get out of this, these troubles is through Pras Michel. 
because Pras Michel happens to know um, a woman called Nikki Lum Davis. And Nikki Lum Davis has political connections. Nikki Lum Davis's parents in the 90s were involved in a very similar um, election financing fraud in the Clinton administration. So these were Asian businessmen who wanted to put money into the illegally into US elections. And uh, I think the father went to jail in, in what's called Donagate. And Nikki Lum Davis at the time was married to a, a guy called Larry Davis. Was that the right yeah. name? Was that his name? And he was, he was big in the Republican Party politics. And he knew a guy called Elliot Broidy. And Elliot Broidy was, I guess you could describe him as a Trump swamp creature. That would probably be the best way of describing him, a businessman. And Elliot Broidy agrees to help try to get close to Trump and try to get Trump to drop the 1MDB charges. And there's this crazy meeting in Shenzhen, just in China, just across the border from Hong Kong, uh, which is attended by Pras Michel, Nikki Lam Davis, Elliot Broidy, and Sun Li Jun, the head of China's domestic security forces. I mean, if you can imagine a more crazy meeting, you, you wouldn't be able to get a scriptwriter to accept that in a movie. It's just, it's just dumb. And they, so they have this meeting in Shenzhen in a hotel, and they agreed if this group of people can get Trump to agree to drop the 1MDB investigations, then they're going to get paid money. And yeah, when, when Prowse was found guilty in April this year, one of the things he was found guilty for, and, and to my mind, the most serious thing, was that Jolo directed over $100 million to Prass to help uh, push the government, including Trump, to drop its investigation into Lowe. So that's really the crazy part, Bradley, right? Yeah, it was amazing. He managed to use a friend of his, set up a company in Hong Kong. It sent the money to Prass. Prass had it in America. All the banks in America were freaking out about this money, being like, what was this money for? But the other crazy thing is, that, that really is mind-blowing, is that one of the people recruited by Pras in this effort to help Joe Lo get off was an actual attorney in the Department of Justice. And that attorney, called George Higginbotham, under direction of Joe and Pras, went to a meeting in the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C. Like this guy actually had a job, like a, a salary job at the Department of Justice, and he's walking into the Chinese embassy. And by the way, this is where the story actually begins for the U.S. government. Because, as you can imagine, they're watching who goes in the Chinese embassy. And they see this guy go in, and, and they immediately are interested. Who is this American guy walking into the embassy? And that's how two different investigations collide. There's the public integrity section in the Department of Justice that's looking into corruption. And then there's also this kleptocracy initiative, um, international corruption group that were doing the whole 1MDB fraud. And they kind of collided at that moment. Now, we should say that Praz wasn't the only celebrity around Jolo. He very famously uh, financed with stolen money the film The Wolf of Wall Street with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, and Leonardo DiCaprio actually took the stand for the prosecution, I think, in Prass's trial, right, Bradley? That was because Jolo had shown off to DiCaprio in the past about how much money he was going to donate to the Democrats, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, what's also amazing about this case is that it's not actually um, related to one political party. Both Democratic Barack Obama and Republican Donald Trump got mixed up into it one way or another, not not through their own knowledge, but it just shows you the amazing ability to kind of get pretty close to getting things done. I mean, in, in one case, he paid money and got a picture with Obama, used it around the world to help him aid in his fraud. And then the second part, he actually got 
you know, I, at one point, I remember there was a real feeling that maybe Trump would drop this case, but it didn't didn't succeed in the end, but it kind of works. Well, it worked in the sense that they were able to get to this guy, Elliot Broidy. Elliot Broidy, you know, was was negotiating to make up you know, tens of millions of dollars in return for getting access to Trump. Nothing happened. There's no evidence that Trump ever got involved to try to stop the Department of Justice from investigating this. So it didn't work. Um, but Something's happened afterwards. I mean, for example, uh, on the last day of Trump, when he pardoned a lot of people from criminal uh, sentences, one of them was Elliot Broidy. So Elliot Broidy is now is now out out of legal jeopardy. I think George Hickenbottom, the DOJ um, employee you mentioned, the one who was sort of walking into the Chinese embassy, he was arrested. Uh, Nikki Lum Davis, who we mentioned, who was the the woman whose parents had been involved in political shenanigans in the '90s, she's also she also pled, and she's doing jail time. Um, oh, and, and suddenly Jun in China also has been arrested for corruption, is on death row for his for his part in all of this. This is the domestic security chief who was who was obviously taking bribes from Jolo. And now Pras Michel is is appealing his his conviction. And just last month, he's come up with a very novel way of, of trying to sow doubt about all of this, hasn't he, Bradley? Yeah, so according to the filings, his lawyers were investors in a company that uh, uses AI to write legal arguments. And um, supposedly they used this AI system to write the legal kind of closing remarks of the case. And um, his new lawyers have used this as a kind of argument that they should have an appeal because the previous lawyers were using this AI system, which did a terrible job and that kind of thing. So it's kind of, a, you know, a, a very novel appeal argument. And then this is also happening at the same time that Praz is actually on tour with the Fujis for the first time in, in a number of years, I think. So we've heard from a number of people that Praz has been, you know, selling his story around to a number of Hollywood studios, that the Fujis, as you, as you mentioned, have gone back on tour to try to make money. This is what we believe is they've decided they agreed to go back on tour all to help their friend Pras out, who needs uh, funds for his legal defense, right? That's what's going on here. Yes, and a friend of of Brazen in Washington D.C. attended the concert and said it was a complete mess. <laughs> That's what we heard, because they were not organized and the sound wasn't working. And anyways, I guess it's not quite what it used to be. I mean, to my mind, I, I don't know what you think, Bradley, but I I don't think Pras has got a very strong case to make to try to get out of his legal problems here. No, I think the judge has to accept. The appeal as well. So you can't, you don't just get an automatic appeal. You have to make an argument that says, these are the reasons why I need an appeal. You can't just do it just because you, you have the right to an appeal necessarily. So I think they're really pushing it with this AI argument. I think that there's a good chance that the judge will look at this and say, look, this is a, was a super clear case. You you put everything you had into it. There's no malpractice here. You know, I mean, that's, that's my, my personal view is there is no argument. All the stuff that he did, the, the straw donors, the um, you know efforts to influence uh, Trump to essentially interfere with a with an ongoing legal case, all of that stuff is pretty cut and dry, clear. And even if you don't know this, this is fraudulent money. I, I think he's in he's in a pretty tough position right now. Yeah, we should say that when he went to flew to China to Shenzhen to have that crazy meeting with Chinese officials and and Jolo, it was already public knowledge that Jolo had engaged in a crime. He'd already been he was already the the focus of an investigate a criminal investigation. If he hadn't been indicted yet, and there'd definitely been civil investigations against him uh, against all the assets that he'd stolen. So, Pras Michel one hundred percent must have known that Jolo was a 
a, a wanted criminal at that point of that meeting. And and then, as you said, he, you know, acceptance of $100 million in return for um, trying to get Trump to drop the case is amazing. I think the prosecution was able to successfully argue that actually that money was from Joe Lowe and it was for a quid pro quo, which was to get the um, uh, Trump administration to drop the charges into Joe Lowe. Yeah, I guess if if this chat GPT kind of uh, argument doesn't work, actually it's not called chat GPT, the company's called iLevel AI. So you should take a look at that. And if that argument doesn't work, I guess he'll be facing sentencing. I think he's looking at 20 years in jail, is that right? Yeah, it's a pretty serious set of charges, and obviously he's been found guilty. Um, but, you know, what's amazing about this case is, that, and we always say this about 1MDB, you know, is that it really showed us how the world really works across the board, you know, how money moves, how how influence can be bought and, and traded. And and this is just one of the, the better examples of that in there. The way that Jolo had a lot of money, and so a lot of people raised their hand to help out. And not many of them seem to care much about where that money came from or or even how he got the money. And it's just amazing. Like there's another element of this is, you know, on Brody, it doesn't it doesn't seem clear that he ever was that serious about helping Joe though that much. He was just mostly serious about getting money from Joe. Even just to take the meeting, he was requiring them to pay a lot of money. And of course there was a success fee that was gonna be huge, but it was still making millions of dollars just by taking the calls. And um, so I think that happens a lot in these cases is everybody's also kind of conning the con man to some extent, you know? Yeah, I think the success fee was $75 million. It's crazy, crazy large success fee. If you have enough money, you can make donations and you can quite easily get access to politicians, to top regulators. You know, the whole revolving door problem between regulators and uh, private firms means that rich people with money can really get access to the centers of power. And we see that over and over again, right? And even when it is almost so uh, brazen that people should have like red alarms going off in their heads, it seems to be, you know, it's really just about greed in the end, you know? Everybody's moral conscience uh, starts spinning around in circles when you hear numbers like 100 million or 75 million. I mean, that's so transformative. That's generational wealth. That's that's changing the life of your like descendants for 100 years. And people really get crazy when that happens. And that was, Joe Lowe knew that all the time. And his greatest weapon was he had a lot of other people's money. So it was easy to spend. Yeah. And especially if you're Pras Michelle and you've been watching, you know, some of the more successful pop stars of your era become worth hundreds of millions, this is a quick way to get there. Yes, exactly. So we'll be watching what happens uh, very closely. Thanks for listening. This is just the start of whale hunting. We'll be back next week with another episode. If you have anything you'd like us to cover, please get in touch. Uh, You can follow the podcast at whalehunting.projectraising.com or write to us at whalehunting at projectraising.com.